The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, take your Bibles, turn with me to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Let's look at Judges chapter 2. Let's all stand together as we read from Judges chapter 2. And I'll begin reading at verse 1. You follow along with me, please. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I make you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the, heat, with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of, of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inhabitants, uh, into his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being an hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance, in Tenath Harris, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger." And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord has said, and the Lord had, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the good rain that you've given us. And, uh, Father, the fact that it has replenished uh, this earth. And we thank you for all these good things. We thank you, Lord, for your word, which we have just read and have the privilege of reading and studying, and meditating upon. Help us, Lord, to to love your precious word, 
and to look at it every day, to lean upon it for our strength and guidance. Thank you, Lord, for this church and uh, the lighthouse that it is in a dark world. Help us as individual members to shine in this community and in this area. Help us to support missionaries around this world that your light might shine forth. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior. We offer him our lives. All that we have is his. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. Bless us now as we gather around your word. May all that is said today be in your will, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Notice verse 10 with me, please. Let's read it all together out loud. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. All that generation. What generation? The generation of people that was alive during the Exodus. Those that were alive during the conquest of the land of Canaan. Those that had witnessed the plagues in Egypt. Those that had walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. Those that saw the walls of Jericho fall down flat. All that generation, we read, were gathered unto their fathers. In other words, they died. They went the course of men. All who were old enough during the the historical times we've discussed to understand what they had witnessed, all of these were now gone. And, we see the word and there. And that is a very big and. And there arose another generation after them. Now this, of course, is not unusual. Uh, One generation usually succeeds another generation. But there is something askew, something spiritually askew about the generation that followed. The scripture tells us, which knew not the Lord. Now, I'm sure that this generation that arose knew about God they, I'm sure, perceived the existence of God. And they may have even acknowledged the existence of God. But they did not know God. They had no intimate understanding or familiarity with God. They had not witnessed the great power of God as their forefathers did. They did not see God provide manna in the wilderness. They did not see God bring water from the rock in the middle of the desert. And further, they had no knowledge of these things. Now we're talking about that generation, but let me bring this to our neighborhood this morning. It is my belief that we are living in the same condition today. We have become a society today that knows not God. Let me share some things that identify this generation we have today. Divorce is at at the rate of 33%. One in every three marriages ends in divorce. 
in our society. Abortions identify our society. It's estimated that in the United States alone, there's a baby is aborted every 16 seconds. Homosexuality. One in every five people are professing homosexuals in our society today. What about drugs and gang violence? I have an article I, I, I read here, this is, and this is from 2010. It's probably worse today, but this is an article written August 20th of 2010. The nation's public schools earned a failing grade when it comes to protecting teens from drugs and gang activity, a nationwide survey suggests. About one in four surveyed teens attending public schools reported the presence of both gangs and drugs at their schools, and 32% of 12- and 13-year-old middle school children said drugs were used, kept, or sold on school grounds. This is a 39% increase in just one year. The findings suggest that as many as 5.7 million public school children in the U.S. attend schools with both drugs and gangs. And this report is six years old. So we can only imagine that it must be worse now. Now, these are not imaginary numbers that I've given you this morning. These are documented facts. And... These are just the tip of the iceberg. I've, I only have time this morning to scratch the surface, the surface of what our society has become. In short, we in America have raised a generation that knows not God. But how could this happen? How, with all of our resources and advantages in this great nation... How did all of this happen? Now, it would be very easy this morning to point to the atheists and the liberals and blame it all on them. That would be pretty easy, wouldn't it? And we might even, to a certain degree, be correct. And it might even ease our conscience as believers and keep us from having to assume any of the blame ourselves. But our condition today is not the fault of atheists and liberals. It is, in fact, the fault of Christendom. I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Second Chronicles chapter 7. Now, keep a marker in Judges chapter 2, because we're going to keep going back there. But Second Chronicles chapter 7. We're just going to read one verse, and it's a very familiar verse to all of you, I'm sure. We're going to look at verse 14. I'd like all of you to read that aloud with me. Are you ready? Begin. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin 
and will heal their land. Now, I'm quite aware that this verse is written to the nation of Israel. And it is God's call unto his people, the nation of Israel, that if they'll simply turn to him, he will forgive them. And he will cleanse them. And he will heal their land. But I present to you that verse is just as applicable to us as believers in America today. I don't, want to, I don't want to say God wrote that to America, which he didn't. But do you understand that God wrote that to his people? And we are his people. If my people, which are called by my name. I spent over 25 years of my 35 years of ministry working with teenagers. In that time... I dealt with a steadily declining morality among teenagers. And now, three or four generations later, let me just say, I think I know a a few things about what has brought us to where we are. I've seen the decay in our young people firsthand. I've I've counseled these young people. I've worked with them. I've pled with them. And I want to share my thoughts with you today. If you'll allow me some latitude this morning, I will attempt to share some things with you that have contributed to this decay in our society. Now, as a disclaimer, let me just say, not all of you will like some of the things I have to say. However, please believe me when I say I have no one in mind today. But the preaching of the word of God is often very convicting. And if anything I have to say offends any of you, I apologize for the offense. But I do not apologize for preaching the truth. What what has contributed? What contributed to that generation that arose after Joshua and the elders' death? What contributed to their decay? I think is applicable to what's contributed to the young people in our nation today, this morning. Number one, the silence of the saints. The silence of the saints. I'd like for you to turn with me, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, once again, don't lose, don't lose uh, Joshua, Judges chapter 2. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'll begin reading at verse number 1. You can follow along with me, please. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land where you go to possess it, that thou, mightest after, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, Thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, 
and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Now those commands from God are pretty plain. They're pretty direct, and they're pretty simple. What he's talking about here is the matter of perpetuating the heritage of Israel. God required the men and women of Israel to continually teach his commandments to their children. This is so they would not forget. This is so they would know and understand the principles of God's words. Now, we see two distinct things in this passage that they were to proclaim. First, letter A on your study sheets, they were to preach God's word. Again in verses 6 and 7, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou, thou liest down, and when thou risest up. They were to teach and preach God's word to their children. Now, we are all feeble creatures. You might not feel feeble today. As I grow older, I feel more feeble. But we are all feeble creatures. We're weak. No matter what we think of ourselves, we are weak. And we forget. So easily, don't we? This is why we often repeat the same mistakes over and over and over again. Have you ever heard the old saying, history repeats itself? How many of you have heard that? History repeats itself. Do you know why history repeats itself? Because the generations that follow forget about the history. Do you know that our young people today are, are, are not even taught American history anymore? We'd have students transfer into our Christian school here, and I'm talking about teenage students, and I talk to them about the Boston Tea Party, and they say, what was that? Or I, I, I say, um, how many lanterns did Paul Revere hang in the, in the church steeple? What church steeple? Who's Paul Revere? See, we, we weren't, we forget about history and it repeats itself because we forget the lessons that were learned by our forefathers and they're not continually taught so that finally a generation arises who, who doesn't know the truth and, and, and does whatever they want to do. Alas, the elder generation in Israel did not heed the warnings of God. They became silent on the matters. And their silence doomed an entire generation to a life void of the knowledge of God. And certainly this is true in America today. We must be faithful today to teach our children the word of God. You may say, well, I don't have any children today, so I don't have to worry about this. Yes, you do. I don't have any more children. My children are all grown, but I have grandchildren and I have a responsibility to teach my, my children and my grandchildren to talk to them 
to remind them of God's grace and God's goodness. And if you have no children, then, then talk to your neighbor about it. Talk to the people you meet at the store. Talk to the people, if you're sitting in the doctor's office and someone next to you, talk to them about, you, and what a wonderful leading. Wow, what all this rain? Isn't all this rain wonderful? Isn't God so good? Isn't God so good to us that he, he brings rain to water the earth? So I, I wouldn't know how to break into conversation with people about God. Just look around you. Everything you see is the handiwork of God, and it's so easy to start talking about God. We, we must not, as saints, we must not be silent. We must teach the, the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4, we read, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing, and his kingdom. Preach the Word, be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Exhort with all longsuffering in doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall, heap, uh, shall, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. The only protection our children and the future generations have against the false doctrines of today is to hear the true preaching of the Word of God. Yet many today absence themselves from the one place designed for that very purpose. See a lot of empty pews around here today, don't we? That's a sign of a, of a silent generation. Of people who don't place value on God, on the worship of God and the preaching of His Word. And in this, they behave foolishly. They repeat the mistakes of the saints that followed Joshua. Their silence dooms an entire generation to a godless existence. But not only were they to preach God's word, but secondly, they were to proclaim God's works. Let's, let's look at Psalm 145, if you would. Psalm 145. And we read here, I'm not going to read the whole psalm, you can read it later, but it's a, it's a psalm of praise to the gracious God. Let's just begin in verse 1. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise the works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and thy wondrous works, and men shall speak of, of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly uh, utter the memory of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. And I can read on, and you should read on and finish the, the chapter. We are to proclaim the works of God. Let me ask you, does God still work miracles today? Absolutely he does. The fact that people ask me this question is often evidence that they do not know or understand the works of the Lord. 
God performs miracles every moment of every day. The fact that the earth doesn't hurtle off into space, the fact that the earth isn't showered upon by, by um, comets or meteors, the fact that the sun doesn't fry us to a crisp. And that's, that's just the, the, the miracles involving the universe. What about the miracle of the birth of a child? Of new life? It's especially a miracle nowadays with all the abortions that, that are out there. But the miracle of birth. What about, what about the rising of the sun? The sun came, came up this morning in the east. The rising of the sun. The, what about the saving of a soul? Oh yes, everything we see is a miracle of God. And the fact that our society today is ignorant of this is due to the fact that they have no knowledge of God. And this is because, in no small part, of the silence of the Lord's saints. I pray that you and I would not be silent. I pray that we would live our daily lives proclaiming the works of God and preaching the word of God to all that we meet and all that we see. But not only do we see the silence of the saints, but secondly, we can attribute this generation that knew not God, number two, to the failures of their fathers. Now let's go back to Judges chapter 2. And let's, let's start at verse 1 again. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum, and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. The failures of the Father. He stated there, but ye have not obeyed my voice. They failed to obey. They failed to do what the Lord told them to do. The elders and fathers of Israel made uh, graven images. Uh, they made grave mistakes of of living careless lives, and we see this today as well. I hear God's people all the time saying things such as, I'm an adult. Nobody is going to tell me how to live. Well, let me just tell you something. Say that often enough uh, around your children, and one day they will reject the preaching of God's word and will do what they want to do instead of doing what the Lord has commanded them to do. These fathers failed their children. And it is in part because of their careless living uh, that their children grew to reject God. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, we read, For ye were sometimes darkness, now are ye light in the Lord. Walk, or live, as children of light. Live as God's children ought to live. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let us remember the admonition of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where he states, All things are lawful for me, 
but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Now, I do not want to get anyone mad at me today, but let me just say, it is because of our failures we live in the society that we do. If God's people were living with a holy fear of God, if God's people were humbling, humbly seeking the will of God for their lives, if God's people would confess of their sin and repent of their sin, God would forgive us. He would heal our lamb, and our children would know the Lord. Who else are we going to blame? Are we going to blame the atheist? Well, we do. Are we going to blame the liberal? We blame them too. But you know, an atheist is just doing what an atheist does. A liberal is only doing what liberals do. But when God's children fail to live like God's children, the blame must rest on us. And I know that I know that we don't ever want to think of ourselves as not living worthy of Christ. And I'm talking to myself first. There isn't a person in this room can stand up and say, I live my life exactly the way I ought to live my life every moment of every day. So we all have a little bit of the blame. The failures of the Father. Stop shifting the blame. Look in the mirror. Point your finger at yourself and say, Thou art the man. Forsake the philosophies of do as I say and not as I do. Remember that your actions speak louder than your words. Before you involve yourself in anything, ask yourself, how is this going to affect my children? How is this going to affect my home? How is this going to affect my church? How is this going to affect my testimony? This generation today in America knows not the Lord. And it's largely because of the silence of the saints. Because of the failures of the fathers. But then thirdly, it's because of the waywardness of their worship. In Judges chapter 2 again, verses 11 through 13, we see, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord, God of their fathers, and brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. A large part of the reason that these young people, these, this generation grew in Israel and knew not the Lord was because of the wayward worship of their fathers. The, they served Baal. They, they served Ashtoreth. I suppose that before we can learn to worship God, we should know what it means to worship God. It is the act of divine honor consisting in reverence, praise, confession, prayer, thanksgiving, Submission, conformity, and obedience. That's what it means to worship God. Not just to lift your voice, but all these factors. Reverence, fear and respect of God, praise, 
the recognition of God's worth. Confession, the result of conviction. Prayer is communication with the Father. Thanksgiving, gratitude for God's grace and mercy. Submission, humble and suppliant behavior. Conformity, meeting God's expectations for me. Obedience, willful compliance to what is expected. And complete abstinence from what is prohibited. These children failed in their worship to God because they had an improper understanding of worship. And the same is true in America today. Across our nation this morning, people are involved in what they call worship services. But the truth is, they are simply involved in emotionally charged, self-gratifying entertainment. Where is the reverence for God today? Where is the acknowledgement of his sovereignty in all matters? Where is the confession resulting from the convicting power of the Holy Spirit? In fact, there is no shame in their hearts today. Did you ever notice that? There's, there's no shame in what is presented as worship in America today. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 15. Jeremiah states, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay. They were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Where is the prayer or the thanksgiving today? In fact, most men act as if God uh, owes them something. The thanksgiving they offer is hollow and obligatory, designed to impress the hearer, but not sincere to the Savior. Where is the submission in the lives of men today? Where is the conformity? Where is the obedience? In fact, men have changed the image of God into what they want him to be. Paul states in Romans chapter 1, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Listen to me for a moment. Anyone who can hear preaching such as this and go away and feel no shame or no guilt in their careless living I worry about the soul of a person such as that. These children of Israel failed in their worship to the Lord. And I fear that most Christians today also fail in their worship as well. And this failure to worship God in truth and in sincerity has bred a generation of believers who seek to satisfy their self more than they seek to satisfy God. They seek churches and preachers that appeal to their flesh rather than convict them in their hearts. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And this just leads them farther from the Lord. Now, I hate to end a message on a bad note. And thankfully, I don't have to leave this one there either. For you see, our God is a God of grace and mercy. We know that God's grace is displayed when he gives us what we do not deserve. 
But we also know that God's mercy is displayed when God does not give us what we do deserve. So lastly this morning, I'd like to quickly look at the goodness of God. I'm going to ask you to turn one more time to Psalm 31. Psalm 31. We read here, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Uh, Be thou my strong rock. For in house of... uh, defense to save me for thou art my rock and my fortress therefore for thy name's sake lead me and guide me pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me for thou art my strength and to thine hand I commit my spirit thou hast redeemed me O Lord God of truth and we could read on we see the goodness of God God remembered his promise to Abraham Isaac and Jacob He remembered his covenant with them. He heard their cry of his people. Even after they had forsaken him and forgotten him. And he turned his ear to their cry. Throughout the the book of Judges we can read that the people of God forsook him. They turned to him in true, true repentance and confession. Cried out for his deliverance and God delivered them. Then again... They repeated it over and over and over again. Yet God was always faithful. Always faithful to deliver his people. God heard the cries of his people. And he showed mercy unto them. How did God show mercy? Well, first of all, he delivered them from desolation. In Galatians chapter 1, we read, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and your Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God is faithful. He will not forsake us. He will deliver us from all evil. He will deliver us from the desolation of this world. He delivered the children of Israel, not because they deserve to be delivered, but because of his righteousness and his mercy. He delivered them. And He will deliver us today if we remember to confess and forsake our sin in our lives. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But by His mercy, He not only delivered them from desolation, but lastly, He was also faithful to restore them to fellowship. I don't have time to read it, but you can later read Psalm 51. And David in this psalm confesses his sin with Bathsheba. He turns his heart to God. He, he repents. And he, he, he admonishes and calls unto God and says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And God will restore our fellowship. He will not forsake us. He will not leave us. And if we are faithful to confess, He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today, God will restore the fellowship between Himself and us. He will restore that fellowship if we are faithful. 
There arose another generation that knew not the Lord. Let me ask you, is this to be our epitaph as well? Are we in America to, to repeat the failures of Joshua and, and the people that followed him? Are we to repeat the failures that led a, an entire generation to know not God? Or will we turn? Will we change? It's up to you and I. It's up to me. It's up to you. Why? Because the liberal is a liberal and the atheist is an atheist and he's not going to change his ways. But I remember what the Lord told us. My people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Humble ourselves. Don't sit bolstered in your chair this morning and say, I'm, not, I'm never going to admit that I'm not right with God. Humble yourself. Seek my face. Seek the face of God. Pray to Him. Worship Him. Confess to Him that we are frail creatures who have failed. And, and we need His strength and we need His guidance and we need His help. Shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. We need to change some of our behaviors in America. We've gotten way too careless with way too many things. All one needs to do is take a look at the television programming. It comes into our homes and we can see. Any sensible man can see how far we've drifted from God. And there's only one reason those shows are on TV. It's because they're popular. Because people watch them. Turn from our wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. And will forgive their sin. And will heal their land. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. We are so undeserving. And Lord, we, we are frail creatures and we do forget. And, and Lord, we are weak and we, we do give in to the failures of, of, our, of our flesh. And we do give in to sin and we do, we do, Lord, without intending to, we do forsake you. We do forsake your ways. So Lord, we come to you now and we ask your forgiveness. We ask that you would cleanse us from these works. And Lord, we, we pray that you will strengthen us and that your spirit will guide us. Lord, not only for our own sake, but for the sake of our children and the future generations. Lord, that we might proclaim your mighty works, that we might preach your word, that the generations to follow might hear of and know the greatness of God. Bless this church. Help us to be a, a beacon in this area. Help us to go forth with your, your word and preach the gospel. And help us to live our lives as, as testimonies before the men of this world and to, to walk worthy as children of God. Help each of us, Lord, I pray. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 
6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.